Welcome to Zen Bones. This is Mark Lesser. Zen Bones is a bi-weekly podcast that features conversations with leading spiritual teachers and activists, and it's an exploration of how Zen teachings and practices can inform and support your everyday life. Please support our work by making a donation at marklesser.net, M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. It would be most appreciated. Thank you. Dacher Keltner is an American professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, who directs the Berkeley Social Interaction Lab. He's also the founder and faculty director of the Greater Good Science Center. His new book is Awe, the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. In today's episode, we unpack the power of awe, seeing the world fresh and new, and how it can benefit our well-being, our relationships, and help heal the rifts in our culture. Dacher tells some heartfelt personal stories about his own life and the role of awe. We touch on the relationship of mindfulness and awe at work and in leadership and in all parts of our lives. I bring you Dacher Keltner. Dacher, it's such a pleasure to see you. It's great to see you, Mark, and be in conversation with you again. So I was recently asked to write an article for a a major CEO magazine. And the topic that they wanted me to write on was how to work effectively with workplace conflicts. Yeah. I started writing this article and I said, the secret sauce really to working with conflicts is mindfulness. And then I proceeded to write about a little exercise of looking at your hand as Mm. though you had never seen your hand before. That's cool. And I was trying to give them a little taste of awe. Yeah. And so it made me wonder about ways, you know, without drugs, to give people a taste of awe and also like how your any thoughts or research or stories you want to tell about conflict awe awe and its relationship to helping us more skillfully meet other people and work skillfully with conflict yeah well you you uh got to i believe the central mindset if you will or cognitive orientation to finding awe mark just to th- see things like you've never seen them before You know, and that's obviously a very Buddhist idea that you've been teaching for a long time. Um, We did a study where we asked people to go out on a walk and basically do their regular walk and what we now call an awe walk with that orientation to what you're walking through. And it brought a lot of awe. It brought a lot of joy. It made these elderly participants in our study experience less pain, right? So this basic orientation of don't go into the world with preconceptions, biases, but just see what, imagine things as if you'd never seen them brings you awe to answer your question. And then the other thing for our audience to know, you know, we've done a lot of research, 26 different countries, and you can find awe through this orientation in what I call the eight wonders of life in my book, Awe, which is the moral beauty of other people, collective movement, nature, music, visual design, 
spirituality, contemplation, and then ideas and life and death, right? And so I think, Mark, if you take that, if, if you can adopt that stance toward the world of, man, imagine you haven't seen this before, and then apply it to music or nature or somebody near you, you're on your way to a lot of good awe. And, you know, one of our, my favorite studies that I report on in this book is we find that brief experiences of awe lead people to polarize their political opponents less and polarize debates over police brutality or abortion less or gun rights. And what that means is awe is this antidote, like you suggest, to, you know, polarizing conflict, which is one of our real social problems today. Yeah, I think of it as, again, the, um, th this article that I was writing was about, you know, that basically saying that even though I was using it's interesting. Like I was using the word mindfulness. I think a big component of what we call mindfulness is awe or is seeing the world fresh, is stepping out of our usual patterns. You know, I was just reading, I've been rereading Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. Yeah. And every time I read it, I see it new. And I'm amazed at, there's a line in there where he says, the world is its own magic. And in that talk, he says that we see the world in a certain way because everyone around us sees it that way. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so hard. It's, yeah. you know, people, people don't generally go around with a sense of awe. Yeah, you know, I think that's, it's a miracle of human cognition to develop shared understandings of the world. It's essential to culture and collectives. But at the same time, those shared understandings become expectations and preconceptions and biases and prejudices and can lead us to miss the wonders of the world. And, you know, I think that one of the exciting things about awe, and I've written a bit about this, you know, and I think people are really contemplating this in the contemplative world, is that awe alongside mindfulness, what awe orients you to is all of the systems around you that constitute the world, ecosystems, you know, pollinating systems, tree systems, social systems, musical systems. And so awe adds a layer to our contemplative life of putting you in relation to these systems that really are what I believe to be life. And there's a lot of magic and wonder there, that stance. Yeah. I want to come back to what you were saying just a few moments ago about the power of doing an awe walk. Yeah. It, again, it's, it's, like, why would we walk in any other way? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that reminder. <laughs> I think especially, you know, especially when we're, you know, uh, in the midst of our busy lives, it's just an opportunity to make a giant shift. But it's interesting. It, I mean, I generally do that. I think of, you know, walking meditation as, you know, they should just call it an all walk. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we, you have this mysterious emotion, an ineffable emotion. Some people believe rarefied awe. Turns out people feel it a lot, you know, two to three times a week. It's actually an everyday emotion uh, there to be cultivated, as you were suggesting. And so, you know, Virginia Sturm and I, she's a neuroscientist at UC San Francisco. We're interested in like, how could we just get people to feel awe? in the most basic of activities. And so we devised the awe walk and it has your instructions, which is go somewhere new, 
And imagine you hadn't seen it before and you were a child. And what would you think about it? It produced awe. And it's just this easy way to, to find awe, whether you're in a city or in a beautiful rural area or walking through a garden like Charles Darwin used to do. And I have to tell you, you know, it's interesting. That simple activity is really powerful. When my daughter, Serafina, was about 10 or nine or eight, and this, she first and this is the origins of the awe walk. She first freaked out about in, the idea of infinity. She's like, oh my God, <laughs> space is infinite. you know. And then she immediately got to like, oh my God, we all die. <laughs> so she had this anxious response, like a lot of young people do to the big ideas. And we took awe walks at night. Every night we would have this ritual of walking up the street, you know, looking at the homes, commenting the foliage. And then we would touch the cedar tree and think about its life, you know, and it gave us awe. And I think that's what awe walks are there to do. Help us find meaning as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I've been spending more time in Missoula because I have a daughter here and um, outside my home here is this amazing linden tree. Mm. And I can't help but feel awe seeing this tree. And then, and I walk out, the trees here are amazing. Just it's like they're different scents than Northern California tree. Yeah. I think So one of the assignments I often will do is not only see the world through different, through fresh eyes, but see if you can find an object that you never realized was there. Find find an object and bring it back and we'll put it on the altar and talk about this object. I mean, the world is filled with objects as well. Yeah. And I would even, you know, it's interesting, Mark. I, I love your example of the hand too. And I've had a four or five epiphanies, just looking at the hand, (laughs) like, oh my God. But one of my favorites, so powerful that has emerged in, you know, the conversations around awe. One of the things we find is people are really moved to awe by the moral beauty of fellow human beings, how we sacrifice, how we're courageous, how we overcome poverty or racism. And one of the reliable sources of that is, is this everyday contemplation of other people where you just look into someone, a stranger's eyes, right? And I remember in London, I was giving a talk on awe and this guy said, you know, he started tearing up like, wow, I, I was on the tube here and I just looked over and made eye contact with this, this woman and we almost teared up, right? Like, wow, there is shared humanity here. And that's just looking afresh at what is around us to find awe and really stuck with me. Yeah, no, I, also in the trainings that I used to do really regularly, like at Google and other places, mm-hmm. we'd have to work up to it. It's funny. I remember in the beginning, we tried having people look into each other's eyes too early on <laughs> and they would go running out of the room because it was <laughs> But by, by the second day, we could then get people to create a little bit more safety and, right, yeah. and look, looking into another person's eye. We did it with, you know, a just like me kind of meditation. And it was around, it was meant to be experiencing empathy. But really, what really did it, it was an experience of awe, even though we weren't using, that was, I think, an unintended consequence of looking in another person's eye and doing a just like me guided meditation was this feeling of awe. Yeah, you know, and one of the really interesting new discoveries in the science that I write about in awe is, is this intersubjective sense of collective self that develops early 
in a child's growth. And it largely, I think it begins with eye contact, mutual gaze, and then the synchronization of physiology, the activation of vagal tone. And suddenly through mutual eye contact done right, as you suggest, you're in this shared mental state, which is a pathway to awe, right? And it's profound that we can find it so easily on a London tube to go to a talk. Interesting too, the connection between awe and the word sacred, right? Yeah. Seeing the world as sacred, right? And how, yeah. again, I, you know, how this has a role in being more effective with conflict, or as you were saying, yeah. not getting so caught in our divisive, the, the divisiveness in our country and politics. If we could just find a way to give everyone a taste of the sacred, a taste of the awe. So, man, you got work to do. <laughs> I'm going to give psychedelics to the Congress and get them to feel collective awe. No, I, but I'm excited. You know, it's, you know, this work on awe has really opened up, you know, just as you're suggesting that a rereading of Zen Buddhism, I was just reached out, you know, just had some anesthesiologists reach out to me like, wow, surgery and anesthesiology is all awe. Like it's this radical alteration of a mental state. You come out of it and how to guide people to appreciate that. And there's a lot of good work with awe right now in, you know, trying to get communities to recognize what's sacred and to revere it. So I think it's a useful idea. Well, you meant you mentioned psychedelics, but I, I don't really want to go there because where I really neither want, do I. <laughs> yeah, where I really want to go is without drugs, right? And this I is, agree, right? This is the simple things about I agree. awe walk, seeing your hand, yeah. and it's interesting what you mentioned about your daughter and that connection of awe and this larger question of how we swim and live in birth and life and death. And, and it's interesting, this is where in this talk on uh, the world is its own magic that Shinri Suzuki does, it's all kind of a setup toward getting us to experience that, you know, he makes the statement actually that we're always here. We've been here before we're yeah. born. And yeah. we'll be here after we die, that it's a delusion that, to think that the, we appear and can disappear. And yeah. he goes on to say that if we can embody that reality, we will live without fear, Yeah, which I think is a beautiful aspiration for how to actually live in the world. Yeah. You know, thanks for bringing that up, Mark. You know, I wrote this book. You know, and you're, you're friends with my dad and, you know, and we lost my brother, Rolf, and he and I had this magical, wonder-filled childhood, you know, raised in kind of a counterculture type family. And he was in some sense, my moral compass, my, he provided me a bearing in life. And uh, when he passed away, I felt when watching him die, I, I felt a lot of awe at the mystery of it all. Mm -hmm. And it caught me off guard. Mm -hmm. And then I fell into a state of awelessness where I just was lost without him, went in search of awe in the ways that we're talking about, real contemplation, observation, reflection, soul searching. And it led me to what you're saying, you know, which is I'm a scientist, kind of a biological reductionist, but I felt him in me. I sensed him around me. His being is continues. It goes onward and outward, as Walt Whitman says, and led me to a different view, much, much aligned with what you're saying, which is that life always continues. You know, it's just this cycle um, that we're part of. And 
I have to say, Mark, you know, I've been a, in some ways, and genetically an anxious person. And in that process, I don't feel fear about a lot of things that I used to feel fear about because I really grasped with my very narrow, linear Western scientific mind, the idea of cycles mm-hmm. and it changed me. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. No, thank you for your sharing that your own vulnerability of talking about your brother and your feelings about that. And it's so interesting that you talk about yourself as, you know, the scientific mind and that writing a book about awe. So it's like, I'm trying to put, I'm trying to put these things together. So am I. <laughs> it's just what has been forced upon me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was what was really, you know, and it's interesting and thanks for bringing that up. I mean, you know, I had all this great science on awe and it's just a fertile time for the scientific study of awe. And I, we're learning a lot about ner- you know, the nervous system and its place in human evolution. But I really had to, I think the core to the book is stories, you know, like we're telling here, that first person stories, first person experiences were, as William James understood when he wrote about the ecstasy of religion and, you know, and is cultivated in a lot of Buddhist thinking, those first person stories really get to what awe is. And so I had to gather a lot of those to, alongside the science to understand this amazing emotion. You know, I'm also thinking about, I was watching, you know, a new series on Netflix yesterday Uh and I was just in awe of how creative we human beings are. Oh my God. Putting together, like, like, just amazing the creativity i'll share with you i mean one of the shows i was watching that i had to watch it by myself because it's too dark for my wife to watch it but Mm. it's a show called barry which i've heard about it i haven't seen it but it's about a hitman who stumbles into an acting class and really wants to get out of being a hitman and wants to be an actor And the, ca- the characters, you realize, of course, so stepping back, they're all just acting. Yeah. There's all these layers and the, you know, the hitmen are kind of over the top characterized characters, you know, from, and I just, I was like almost in tears watching just how amazingly, who wrote this? Who thought of this? Yeah. We human beings and, and so many so much that's on is just awe-inspiring if we are, but we have to, I think, it's like seeding awe in our own being so that we can see everything through that lens. And this is, you know, I mean, awe is a lens upon reality, and it's a way that we can construct our lives. And when I was in grief, having lost my brother, I had the realization that you just described, Mark, like, I have to, we live in many ways in the best of times for awe. We can find it in art from around the world, music from around the world, incredible dramas, you know, that are the reflection of human creativity, scientific discoveries of the cell and gene editing that are mind-blowing. And I had to put that lens on my eyes, you know, that I've got to go listen to music that brings me meaning and awe. I've got to watch shows. I watch Game of Thrones again, you know, just like, whoa, just the spectacle of it all. And I think that's a, in some sense, a contemplative choice we have that the science tells us is really good for us. I agree with you. There's so much to be, to marvel at right now. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like to bring into this 
time right now, any, anything you want to do or offer or say about this practice or this being or mm. any story you want to tell? I guess, you know, it's so fascinating, Mark, because, you know, as my dad gave me Zen Minds, Beginner's Mind, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind when I was in high school, I think, and it blew me away. And I read it several times and, you know, I've been very influenced by Buddhism, thankfully. And it was interesting to do the science of awe, you know, over my career and write this book. And some of its core ideas align with, you know, what you've been teaching, like it's everywhere. Awe is everywhere. It's the world, you know, it is about pausing and reflecting and looking at things anew, as you said. And all I'll add is the science tells us, is it good? It's so good for our minds and bodies, you know, it reduces inflammation. It's good for your heart, helps us handle conflicts which we started with, it makes us feel less stress, makes us feel like we have more time. So I just feel, you know, in this work, like this is good news for our hard times. It makes you more environmentally friendly. You eat less red meat when you feel awe. So, so it's, it's a good emotion to be talking about. And I'm grateful you've brought it into your community. And I'm grateful for the science. It's one of the things that somehow, I guess it was now, I don't know, 15 years ago, I found myself standing up in front of rooms of Google engineers, co-teaching with scientists. And yeah. I became in awe of science. Yeah, I love know? science. <laughs> and, and interesting, the realm of science and the realm of what's in our experience and where those yeah. things are vastly different and where they overlap. <laughs> and man, so awe, awe, I think. So that's why I so love the work that you do, which is that the rigor of the science and yet, you know, you bring in your th this childlike quality of not knowing even what the science mm. will show you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny in, in the end, the word that kept returning to me in writing awe is mystery, mm -hmm. you know, and awe is an emotion that is animated by mystery. I don't understand this. And then the ideas that it takes you to unfold into other mysteries, right? And so I was really grateful for that because I've often shied away from mystery and awe opened me up to how wonderful that is. Well, thank you, Dacker. Thank you for just who you are and your good oh. work and may, you know, may your good health continue. Yeah. To you too, Mark. It's always good to be with you. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. I hope you've appreciated today's episode. To learn more about my work and my new book, Finding Clarity, you can visit my website, marklesser.net, M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. This podcast is offered freely, and at the same time, it relies on the financial support from listeners like you. Thank you very much.